We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we say blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Now we are continuing with what is fiqh in the Kandelvi book. <clears throat> what is fiqh? The most recognized definition of fiqh among th- amongst the jurists is fiqh is a knowledge of der- derivative rulings taken from in-depth ev- uh, um, evidences of the Qur'an and Sunnah. Imam Abu Hanifa said, fiqh is knowledge, ma'rifa, of the self, and that which is beneficial and harmful to it. This is a broad definition which includes everything from beliefs to all deeds related to the esoteric, spiritual, and exoteric, physical. Mm-hmm. So here, fiqh is, uh, the definition is much wider than what we usually use. And the key point is that it is relating to, to conduct and knowing what's good for you and what's not good for you. And the word fiqh itself literally means understanding. Yufaqihu fi deen is so that they understand deen. <clears throat> Succeeding scholars brought all the branches related to matters of belief under the umbrella of science of doctrine, of the science of doctrine, ilmul kalam. The branches related to spiritual rectification under the science of morals, ilm al akhlaq or tasawwuf, and the branches related to exoteric deeds under fiqh. In the introduction of Kanz al Daqaiq, Sheikh uh, Izaz uh, Ali narrates from Hawi Qudusi that fiqh linguistically means tafakkuh or to be aware of. In the Sharia, it refers to a special type of awareness that is distinct from the understanding gained from the meaning of the text, i.e. the Qur'an and Sunnah, and its uh, intimations, sense, and requirements. Okay, so what we're saying here is that when you look at all the different sciences, you have ilm al-qalam, kalam, which is often like, you know, where you find the realm of aqidah. And then you have your morals, which is where you'll find tasawwuf, but more the idea being, how do you straighten out your character? And then what he's calling exoteric deeds, which is what in class we'd refer to as just your actions, your physical actions. That's the realm of, of fiqh. Um, okay, let's continue. In another place, he writes that tafakkuh is a quality, an aptitude by which one can discern the correct evidences from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and by which one can sense what what is intellectually more sound. The sources of fiqh are the Qur'an, the authentic sunnah, scholarly consensus, and analogical analogical, analogical deduction, which have already been cited from Nur al-Anwar. Yeah, so we've talked about that before, right? You have the text, which is Qur'an and sunnah. They have interpretations starting with ijma and qiyas. Right? Qiyas is here analogical dis- uh, deduction analogy. And so what are we saying? Sharia, from this perspective, is essentially the whole thing. And fiqh is what you're deriving by way of interpretation from that material. right? And what it's also saying is that, okay, if the question I can't find directly in the Qur'an and the, and the Sunnah, then I am uh, doing some interpretation from the Qur'an and Sunnah to answer my question. That's fiqh. <coughs> Therefore, all the sciences and fields of knowledge required for, under, required for understanding the Qur'an and Sunnah are also required for the understanding of fiqh. Mm-hmm. Sheikh uh, Ashraf Ali Tanwi writes in his book Al-Takashuf uh, uh, yeah, oh, Sharia in the name of the complete and comprehensive coalition. Is the name. 
Al-Sharia is the name of the com complete and comprehensive collection of practical rulings. This definition is, inclus is inclusive of all deeds, both esoteric and exoteric. The term fiqh was used in the sense against amongst the earlier scholars, mutaqaddimun. For example, Imam Abu Hanifa defined fiqh as ma'rifatun nafsi ma laha wa ma alayha. Uh, fiqh is knowledge of the self and that which is beneficial and harmful to it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a way to think about that is that knowledge of the self is what helps you get closer to Allah. Because mm -hmm. the better you know yourself, the more clear you are in terms of what you need to, to connect to Allah. And then intellect is to know what's beneficial and what's harmful. Right? So that sums up uh, fiqh. Uh, the term mutaqaddimun, this is something we mentioned in one of our other like general conversations. Uh, in the history of scholars, often one uh, um, um, uh, division is the mutaqaddimun and mutaakhirun. Okay, mutaqaddimun are the early scholars, mm -hmm. which is when a lot of these fields are being developed, and the mutaakhirun are those who come later. Mm -hmm. And the mutaqaddimun would basically be from after the Sahaba uh, up for about like the next three hundred years, give or take. Those are usually the mutaqaddimun. And mutaakhirun, the later scholars, are the ones who are using that material that they've established mm -hmm. now to further develop, further elucidate. <laughs> then fiqh became among, known amongst the later scholars, mutaakhirun, as knowledge of the exoteric deeds, while to self knowledge of the while to self knowledge of the exoteric deeds, mm -hmm. esoteric deeds. Sheikh Tanwi makes the same point in Imdad al-Fatawa. Okay, so yeah, so then fiqh starts focusing on your actions, and Tasawa focuses on what's inside. Esoteric is inside, exoteric is outside, mm -hmm. right? Tanvi, Sheikh Tanvi is a very, very good, important scholar, one of the most important scholars of the past century. Mm -hmm. uh, to be, uh, it's very important to be familiar with him. Yeah. <laughs> Abdul Wahab al-Sha'rani uh, al 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 wrote a book called Al-Mizan al-Kubra. What, how would you translate that? Uh, Al-Mizan, the scale, of the greatest scale? Yeah. The greatest scale. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed this book and read it repeatedly during my last years of study and the beginning of my teaching years. The main idea behind his books is, book is that there is no disagreement between the Mujtahids. Whatever is seen in a, as a disagreement is due to the difference in the times in which they lived. Mm -hmm. For example, Imam Abu Hanifa ne uh, negated raising the hands, Rafa' al-Yadayn, because of the condition of the Muslims in his time, while Imam Shafi'i necessitated, 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 I can't English today, necessitated it according to his time. Imam Abu Hanifa lived in the golden era, and the meaning of raising hands was throwing the material world, world away behind one's back. In his time, Salah was prayed with perfect concentration, and once it began, the material world was removed for good. In the time of Imam Shafi'i, who was born this year, the year, Imam Abu Hanifa uh, passed away. The material world made its way back in the Salah. This is why he ruled that the hand should be repeatedly during, uh, raised during the Salah to throw back the material world. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, there, there's more. Um, it relates to uh, different... So the Prophet, peace be upon him, it seems that in his last prayer did not raise his hands. Right? Actually, no. I'm, I'm speaking of something different. I'm speaking of this. I'm not speaking of this. Okay, keep going. But yeah, it's very fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so. I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <clears throat> also, uh, also, Imam Shafi, second to last line. Second to last line. 
I can't English. Mm. I can't read English to English. Yeah. Also, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Shafi'i's view was that touching the private part broke the, broke, broke the ablution. This ruling applied to the saintly scholars, while the more liberal ruling, uh, while the more liberal ruling that it did not was applicable to the general public. However, the Hanafis, ex- Hanafis exercise caution in this regard and say that if the private part is touched, then the ablution should be performed to dis- distance oneself from dis- any disagreement between the four imams. Mm, more fascinating stuff, huh? Yeah. That is fiqh. That's a very, very short, short chapter. Mm. Um, but the key point is how fiqh evolved from being this thing that's holistic to specifically focusing on your exoteric actions, meaning your behavior, your, your physical actions, mm-hmm. and then tasawwuf was focused more on your, your internal condition. So is there any relation to fit directly with, like... Well, I mean, I guess in the sense that, like, of not disobeying or going against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or going, doing things that which, like... I'm just trying to see how, like, it, is, it, is, it, is there a direct relation between fit and, like, the development of the self? Other than, like, the indirect actions. It seems like, I mean, uh, I could be wrong, but from what I understand, it seems like uh, they kind of develop a little bit separately. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Imam al-Ghazali comes along, and he merges them back together. Mm -hmm. Right? And and so, a way to think about this is that fiqh does not promise that you will get closer to Allah. Okay? Fiqh is focused on making sure your actions are valid for your akhirah. Right? The sawuf is focused on getting you closer to Allah, which would begin by way of what you find in fiqh, right? And so you find people of the sawuf who are essentially starting, they're expanding upon fiqh, okay? But then they become their own doctors of the heart, mm-hmm. right? So you might go to a sheikh for fiqh matters, for fatawa, and you might go to a doctor of a heart for different matters, mm-hmm. right? And then Al Ghazali uh, um, puts them back into one. Okay, okay. Uh, let's actually stop right here. And then next time we'll do chapter 4, Ijtihad. Alright, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasafirika natubi ilaik wa akhirat da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.